Chapter fourteen of an essay on the principle of population. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. An essay on the principle of population by Thomas Malthus. Chapter fourteen. Mr. Godwin's five propositions respecting political truth, on which his whole work hinges, not established. Reasons we have for supposing, from the distress occasioned by the principle of population, that the vices and moral weakness of man can never be wholly eradicated. Perfectibility, in the sense in which Mr. Godwin uses the term, not applicable to man. Nature of the real perfectibility of man illustrated. If the reasons of the preceding chapter are just, the corollaries respecting political truth which Mr. Godwin draws from the proposition that the voluntary actions of men originate in their opinions will not appear to be clearly established. These corollaries are sound reasoning and truth, when adequately communicated, must always be victorious over error. Sound reasoning and truth are capable of being so communicated. Truth is omnipotent. The vices and moral weaknesses of man are not invincible. Man is perfectible, or in other words, susceptible of perpetual improvement. The first three propositions may be considered a complete syllogism, if by adequately communicated be meant such a conviction as to produce an adequate effect upon the conduct. The major may be allowed and the minor denied. The consequent, or the omnipotence of truth, of course falls to the ground, if by quotes, adequately communicated, end quotes, be meant merely the conviction of the rational faculty, the major must be denied, the minor will be only true in cases capable of demonstration, and the consequent equally falls. The fourth proposition Mr. Godwin calls the preceding proposition, with a slight variation in the statement. If so, it must accompany the preceding proposition in its fall. But it may be worth while to inquire, with reference to the principal argument of this essay, into the particular reasons which we have for supposing that the vices and moral weaknesses of man can never be wholly overcome in this world. Man, according to Mr. Godwin, is a creature formed what he is by the successive impressions which he has received, from the first moment that the germ from which he sprung was animated. Could he be placed in a situation where he was subject to no evil impressions whatever, though it might be doubted whether in such situation virtue could exist, vice would certainly be banished. The great bent of Mr. Godwin's work on political justice, if I understand it rightly, is to show that the greater part of the vices and weaknesses of men proceed from the injustice of their political and social institutions, and that if these were removed and the understandings of men more enlightened, there would be little or no temptation in the world to evil. As it has been clearly proved, however, bracket, at least as I think, end bracket, that this is entirely a false conception, and that, independent of any political or social institutions whatever, the greater part of mankind, from the fixed and unalterable laws of nature, must ever be subject to the evil temptations arising from want. Besides other passions, it follows from Mr. Godwin's definition of man that such impressions and combinations of impressions cannot be afloat in the world without generating a variety of bad men. 
according to mr godwin's own conception of the formation of character it is surely as improbable that under such circumstances all men will be virtuous as that sixes will come up a hundred times following upon the dice the great variety of combinations upon the dice in a repeated succession of throws appears to me not inaptly to represent the great variety of character that must necessarily exist in the world supposing every individual to be formed what he is by the combination of impressions which he has received since his first existence and this comparison will in some measure show the absurdity of supposing that exceptions will ever become general rules that extraordinary and unusual combinations will be frequent or that the individual instances of great virtue which had appeared in all ages of the world will ever prevail universally i am aware that mr godwin might say that the comparison is in one respect inaccurate that in the case of the dice the preceding causes or rather the chances respecting the preceding causes were always the same and that therefore i could have no good reason for supposing that a greater number of sixes would come up in the next hundred times of throwing than in the preceding same number of throws but that man had in some sort a power of influencing those causes that formed character and that every good and virtuous man that was produced by the influence which he must necessarily have rather increased the probability that another such virtuous character would be generated whereas the coming up of sixes upon the dice once would certainly not increase the probability of their coming up a second time i admit this objection to the accuracy of the comparison but it is only partially valid repeated experience has assured us that the influence of the most virtuous character will rarely prevail against very strong temptations to evil it will undoubtedly affect some but it will fail with a much greater number had mr godwin succeeded in his attempt to prove that these temptations to evil could by the exertions of man be removed i would give up the comparison or at least allow that a man might be so far enlightened with regard to the mode of shaking his elbow that he would be able to throw sixes every time but as long as a great number of those impressions which form character like the nice motions of the arm remain absolutely independent of the will of man though it would be the height of folly and presumption to attempt to calculate the relative proportions of virtue and vice at the future periods of the world it may be safely asserted that the vices and moral weaknesses of mankind taken in the mass are invincible the fifth proposition is the general deduction from the four former and will consequently fall as the foundations which support it have given way in the sense in which mr godwin understands the term quote, perfectible end quote, the perfectibility of man cannot be asserted unless the preceding positions could have been clearly established there is however one sense which the term will bear in which it is perhaps just it may be said with truth that man is always susceptible of improvement or that there never has been or will be a period of his history in which he can be said to have reached his possible acme of perfection yet it does not by any means follow from this that our efforts to improve man will always succeed or even that he will ever make in the greatest number of ages any extraordinary strides towards perfection the only inference that can be drawn is that the precise limit of his improvement cannot possibly be known and i cannot help again reminding the reader of a distinction which it appears to me ought particularly to be attended to in the present question i mean the essential difference there is between an unlimited improvement and an improvement the limit of which cannot be ascertained the former is an improvement not applicable to man under the present laws of his nature the latter undoubtedly is applicable 
the real perfectibility of man may be illustrated as i have mentioned before by the perfectibility of a plant the object of the enterprising florist is as i conceive to unite size symmetry and beauty of colour it would surely be presumptuous in the most successful improver to affirm that he possessed a carnation in which these qualities existed in the greatest possible state of perfection however beautiful his flower may be other care other soil or other suns might produce one still more beautiful yet although he may be aware of the absurdity of supposing that he has reached perfection and though he may know by what means he attained the degree of beauty in the flower which he at present possesses yet he cannot be sure that by pursuing similar means rather increased in strength he will obtain a more beautiful blossom by endeavouring to improve one quality he may impair the beauty of another the richer mould which he would employ to increase the size of his plant would probably burst the calyx and destroy at once its symmetry in a similar manner the forcing manure used to bring out the french revolution and to give a greater freedom and energy to the human mind has burst the calyx of humanity the restraining bond of all society and however large the separate petals have grown however strongly or even beautifully a few of them have been marked the whole is at present a loose deformed disjointed mass without union symmetry or harmony of colouring were it of consequence to improve pinks and carnations though we could have no hope of raising them as large as cabbages we might undoubtedly expect by successive efforts to obtain more beautiful specimens than we at present possess no person can deny the importance of improving the happiness of the human species every the least advance in this respect is highly valuable but an experiment with the human race is not like an experiment upon inanimate objects the bursting of a flower may be a trifle another will soon succeed it but the bursting of the bonds of society is such a separation of parts as cannot take place without giving the most acute pain to thousands and a long time may elapse and much misery may be endured before the wound grows up again as the five propositions which i have been examining may be considered as the cornerstones of mr godwin's fanciful structure and indeed as expressing the aim and bent of his whole work however excellent much of his detached reasoning may be he must be considered as having failed in the great object of his undertaking besides the difficulties arising from the compound nature of man which he has by no means sufficiently smoothed the principal argument against the perfectibility of man and society remains whole and unimpaired from anything that he has advanced and as far as i can trust my own judgment this argument appears to be conclusive not only against the perfectibility of man in the enlarged sense in which mr godwin understands the term but against any very marked and striking change for the better in the form and structure of general society by which i mean any great and decided amelioration of the condition of the lower classes of mankind the most numerous and consequently in a general view of the subject the most important part of the human race were i to live a thousand years and the laws of nature to remain the same i should little fear or rather little hope a contradiction from experience in asserting that no possible sacrifices or exertions of the rich in a country which has been long inhabited could for any time place the lower classes of the community in a situation equal with regard to circumstances to the situation of the common people about thirty years ago in the northern states of america the lower classes of people in europe may at some future period be much better instructed than they are at present they may be taught to employ the little spare time they have in many better ways than at the alehouse they may live under better and more equal laws than they have hitherto done perhaps in any country and i even conceive it possible though not probable that they may have more leisure 
but it is not in the nature of things that they can be awarded such a quantity of money or subsistence as will allow them all to marry early in the full confidence that they shall be able to provide with ease for a numerous family end of chapter fourteen recording by geoffrey edwards